0: The Rewindables, the one you take
1: to bed with you.
2: And
0: here's a distinctive breed, you betcha. It's Thor the Bulldog. This dog is a hunk. Winner of our non-sporting group, yes. He's just a two and a half years old. Thor. Just He's got his head. own little wrap there. <laughs> All right, once again, let gravity do its work. Yeah, there we go, there we go. We go. <laughs> Born in Peru, Eduardo Perez, the handler, found him at a dog show in Brazil and bought him for the owner, Kara Gordon of Houston, Texas. Oh, they love my waddle. <laughs> Beautiful dog. Thank
3: you, sir. Now, right around for me, please.
0: Brady, it's more athletic it than it does. Yep, it's almost, you might imagine. Beauty bounce, beauty bounce, beauty bounce, beauty <laughs> bounce. Seven wonderful dogs here. Wow. Well, here we go. Pick who you like. There's the oh Siberian. Boy. Here's the Golden. Will it be the Golden? We'll we be drinking Jack Daniels tonight. There's the Pharaoh, Maddie. The old English sheep dog, Sophia. All right. Who's your pick, David? You know, I'm going to stick with Bono. I love Bono. Beautiful dog. I always pray for rain. I'm going for (laughs) the golden. Let's see what happens. Great lineup.
3: And the best in show tonight
0: is the Bulldog. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Wow. (laughs) Nobody more surprised than Eduardo Paris, the handler.
1: (laughs) Oh, We'll be back in just a moment. Mary will have the winner. You gotta slow down, Chris. You gotta slow way down.
4: Did you say
5: your name is Jim or it's John? Uh, well, it's both, actually. Um, uh,
1: Teachers, when we're growing up, you know, they used to always say, hey, you can have this one. He's a real gem. Well, good morning from Calcutta. You gotta slow way down. Full black
0: Women, ain't they perfect?
1: I'm not always.
0: Yes, they are. They're perfect. Don't matter if they're skinny, fat, blonde, or blue. If a woman is willing to give you her love,
4: greatest gift in the world. Makes you tall, makes you smart, makes
5: you deep shine,
1: and boil more women apart. My choice for the Vice
0: Presidency, Senator Dan Quayle, If you're ever lonely watching television, your troubles may
5: soon be over. That's because finally there's a TV that talks back to you, kind of.
6: Interactive TV doesn't really speak, but there is a whole lot more give and take than with your average
4: tube. You have,
1: you have to, be to be willing, willing to, to rewatch watch a movie.
2: So we were just with Lothar, who paid a condolence call to Wilmer in the hospital bedroom, and he uh, shuffled along the windowsill, uh, escaping the cops, and we cut from that moment, Ben and Christian, to a shot. Of an adorable Ugh, bulldog, adorable
1: bulldog. Oh, baby
2: taking an evening stroll, seemingly enjoying himself, listening to some sort of Lindy Hop, maybe yep. some big band jazz
6: music. Yep.
2: Yeah,
1: this guy's and, got a bone in his mouth. He yeah. is just. So we're referring to this dog as this
6: guy and pal and buddy because I checked; he's uncredited. I don't know the dog's name. I was scrubbing them credits for, and credit to like Bingo the Bulldog, and it did not happen. Uh, so. Yeah. Shout out to this bulldog because that is a gorgeous bulldog. Yeah. The kind of the yeah. kind of bulldog you see at like Westminster in the in the right. whatever that freak dog category. I don't know if he's a hound dog, whatever the 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 like couch potato category of dog. Like, <laughs> you know the the bug, the bulldog. Yeah. Like this is the kind that you would say you're going to see it in the best of show final five on that category. Maybe a winner. Right. I think it's a winner, yeah. even though. Dogs like this rarely win,
1: but he should. This is a this is a perfect animal. And w- when you mentioned the the name, you know, being uncredited, can I tell you guys uh, what name I had for this this guy in my head as a child in 1991? Please. Well, let me tell you. Um, let me tell you what I what I really loved in the year 1991. I loved bulldogs. I oh, yeah, really, he did. really yeah, loved he bulldogs. Did. <laughs> As you know, uh, longtime listeners may know uh, from some of our past uh, WWF uh, deep dives, uh, 1991 was in fact the peak of my WWF fandom, and truly, my favorite wrestler was not Hulk Hogan, not The Ultimate Warrior, not Macho Man Randy Savage, not even Bret the Hitman Hart. No, deep down in my in my heart, my favorite wrestler was the British Bulldog.
4: Come oh back. this is awful jimmy hart's in the ring oh this is davy boy's moment of glory in front of his own people he's on oh. island that's a terrible travesty in of all his people it's good what, what a short short bit of success he had that's terrible this should never ever be allowed the referees have, they've got to bring somebody else in or do something about this no it's over davy boy get up davy get up Let's get some assistance down there and get it down there. Good Davey. You stay there. Nice move. He got on. Stay of there, them. Davey. Davey, 9-11 number here in London. They better call for help from Sonny. They're not done with it. yet. They're not finished yet. Oh, this is terrible. Davey, what was match? Why do they have to Stop it. He's moving pretty good. Oh, oh. With a double get out of there, get out of there. Oh, Davy boy, don't worry about oh. him. Get back in. Good stuff, Davy. Look at him run like scared rabbits. This is the greatest battle oh, Lord, oh, ever oh, seen. started with 20 men, 20 of the World Wrestling Federation's toughest men, and it boils down to that. The home, the homeboy comes home. The winner, British Bulldog Davy Boy. I can't believe this, Max. Check it out. Indeed, they might be loose, but inside he feels just great. What a victory here in Royal Albert Hall for that man right there. The British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. Alfred, you must be Sabobar, the Royal Samovar on the trophy. How fitting! How very after this man should come home where his campaign solo in the United States and in all quarters of the world. And yet here in London, he's before his own people. How appropriate! Well, oh. Bulldog, you better give that teapot to Andre the Giant because he saved your life. Davey Boy has a flag! They love him!
1: Davey Boy Smith, another beautiful man, he was he was just my guy like i don't really know how to explain it it didn't really make sense but he was from england he had white boy cornrows and 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 uh braid you know beaded uh, uh kind of braids whatever in his hair um and he had a bulldog and his bulldog's name was winston and uh, every time i ever saw a bulldog it reminded me of the british bulldog and winston um and so yeah, this was just like, So you were getting a little misty-eyed. When here. I see a... Bu- yeah, I I really am getting kind of choked up right now. I don't know if it's clear in my voice.
2: No, it's yeah. very clear. When yeah, I...
1: Yeah, very- every... Yeah, when I see this... When I saw this bulldog in this movie, I was like, okay, if I... As if I wasn't already completely 100% in, we've got a fucking bulldog. Um, walking also... Walking
6: into... A bulldog shaped restaurant. Like I know, mess. don't worry, we're
1: gonna get to we're gonna get <sighs> no, to
6: no, 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 way gonna way get down. to it, Christine. S- <laughs> we're fast we're for gonna me get Pearson. to the cafe. Okay, I okay. know Just you're excited.
1: One more yeah. little tidbit, personal tidbit here, because mm-hmm. you know what we do on this podcast is dredge up old childhood memories. If Chris is going to talk about his, uh, Christian's going to talk about his, uh, you know, swastika coloring book. Um, <laughs> I when feel I like a...
6: yours is a way more pleasant yes, uh, memory. I feel like my, uh, that being my we known memory. Oh dear. Oh dear. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Do you
1: guys, do you guys remember Lisa Frank? Uh, like, yeah. like, like, you know, school materials, the folders, trapper keeper binders, lady, trapper of
2: keepers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lisa Frank makes the coolest
4: stickers. I know because I have most of them. See me and Jenny, who's like my absolute best friend ever. And stickers, of course stickers. And I told Jenny, no way, I can't pick. And Jenny says, hey, well, you don't have to buy everything now because Lisa Frank comes out with cool new stuff all the time. It's impossible to keep up with, but it's fun to
3: try. Lisa Frank, you gotta have it.
1: So I had I had a Lisa Frank folder when I was a kid, and I actually recently dug this up. Um, I'm going to drop it into the, uh, the chat. I was like, did I just like fabricate this memory or was this actually like a real thing that I had Um, No, it's real. I found a a version of it on eBay. It was a folder with a bulldog on it and it came out in the year 1989 and I bought it and it was honestly my favorite thing that I owned. Wow. This
3: weekend, many toy makers are crossing their fingers, hoping they'll have the next Tickle Me Elmo on their hands. Lisa Frank's products are already must-have items for many young schoolgirls. Tony Guida tells us how the Arizona company captures its customers' hearts and their parents money
0: you are looking at the future of retail and it can barely see over the counter she may not always have complete control of her things or hold them in the most traditional fashion but do not underestimate the buying power of a little girl
3: last year they spent 15 billion dollars of their own money And they're spending and influencing another 165 from their parents.
0: Staggering figures, particularly if you are the Tucson, Arizona-based Lisa Frank Company. It pulls in 250 million dollars a year, catering exclusively to the whims of four to 12-year-old girls. We've been marketing to them, actually exclusively, all of our life. They market everything from feather boa plastic purses to brightly colored school supplies, stationery, activity sets, you name it. If a little <laughs> girl uses it, chances are Lisa Frank makes it.
3: I love Lisa Frank products. And I love the colors. It's colorful. And not everything's like like everything's up just black. I just love it.
0: <laughs> they love the Lisa Frank line so much. There's even a Lisa Frank fan club and the Lisa Frank website. The envy of many a
2: web market here. We get 60 thousand hits a day that kind of equates to like a million hits a month wait ben i'm sorry did you say you still have this like you you
1: found it i don't still have it um okay okay if i did i would would, it's like worth like fucking two hundred dollars on ebay um but i don't have it anymore uh i don't know when it disappeared but the memory of it is still so alive in my heart um yeah it was this like awesome uh like like bulldog house uh with like you know doghouse with like neon all over it and a sign that said Spike's Place, um, and uh, he, this bulldog had these like flam- like pink flamingo sunglasses <laughs> and a big old bone in front of him. It was just the best. Which the that artwork
6: thing. also reminds me deeply of when Ben craw on a family car trip. I don't even know where we were, Ben, but no, oh, we were going up to Maine and we stopped into a little CD music shop and the CD you bought was Snoop Doggy Dogs, I think the dog house. <laughs> and I remember doggy like- style, doggy, doggy style, doggy style. Yeah, yeah. You that were, scans.
2: Yeah. Everything about that scans. Yeah. This is another
4: story about dogs. What a dog that don't pee on trees is a bitch. So say Snoop Dogg So get your pooper scooper Cause the
1: niggas talking shit Ooh. Wait, like you were 90- with me when I bought Doggy Style?
6: Yes, and I remember Nate and wow. Henry were in the back. Our cousins, Nathan and Henry, we all know them because we're all cousins Our, cousin, our all cousins, all of our cousins, cousins, our, cousins. Yep, our family. And I remember- Shout like, out I, to Nathan, my I, cousin, I, shout I, out uh, to all my cousins. I feel like my mom was there and like I don't, she didn't see it, but I was like, that's the most scandalous cover I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. it was yeah. like nineteen. 1990- Anyone who knows that
1: cover, 93. 93 um,
6: was when that came out. So de- yeah, yeah.
1: It was 93. I'm just here to confirm. Definitely had the parental guidance sticker on on it yeah um, a the, very salacious bit of uh you know uh, but, uh yeah, artwork on that uh i
6: can't believe that you were you but, actually yeah, i was there yeah holy crap yeah the amount amazing. of uh, <laughs> the amount of knowledge that i have about this completely <laughs> innocuous in, irrelevant <laughs> so events awesome. but i remember we well, yeah, i remember you got in the car and i was like because my my young brain was like i didn't even know that was a genre of like yeah. cover like that cover yeah. art was like really scandalous and it this spikes place lisa frank art is very similar to that cover just want to throw it out there um (laughs) so ben has really been consistent is the point with his uh, love of dogs and lisa frank style art
1: (laughs) we love our dogs snoops
6: dog, dog
2: Hey guys, it's Chris. I Wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that The Rewindables is now on Patreon. If you love what we do and love what we make and you want to help us keep this podcast independent and ad-free, obviously it's just a labor of love for all of us. You can help us out by going over to patreon.com slash the rewindables, patreon.com slash the rewindables. There are three different tiers of membership, each with different perks. It's the simplest and easiest way to support all the movie deep dive podcasts that we create. Becoming a Patreon gets you all sorts of perks with bonus
6: podcasts and content about the Rocketeer. And I was sitting there eating a cupcake, and I look up and I was like, is that Rosebud from Citizen Kane? And yes it was. <laughs> <With> In- the- <laughs> his office he just has rose bud. you also get access
2: to swish fm plus which is the irreverent basketball deep dive podcast that i do with ben comes a dunk. so if you're in a position to help head over there it's greatly felt and appreciated patreon.com slash the rewindables you sign up you'll get a private podcast feed where all the bonus content with the uh, free episodes will be delivered every week patreon.com slash rewindables now back to the show So back to the film. This dog, this bulldog, is headed for a a restaurant, which we see in a wide shot is the Bulldog Cafe. Yes. Bulldog
1: Cafe. Outside the cafe.
2: Which is essentially a diner, but we'll unpack this in a minute or two yeah. throughout the course of the scene. But it's, it's basically a diner. Outside yep. the cafe is this glowing neon sign, red and white, with the word Eats mm-hmm. below the cafe's logo, which is a bulldog smoking a corn cob pipe. Yeah.
6: Made of an oak cask. And uh, this is where I am going to throw out my little history fun fact, which is that the Bulldog Cafe is, for my money, one of the coolest... Set locations in any movie, like absolutely I've, iconic. I've, it's iconic. Legendary. I've never in any other movie been like, oh, I want to go there more. I want to live, live there. there. I want to go there.
1: I want this to be my house.
6: I want to live there. And you're like, as a kid, you're like, oh, that's would be so cool if that existed. And um, I, it, what became crazy is when I moved to Los Angeles myself. A friend of mine uh, invited me to a bar. Nearby in North Hollywood that is shaped like a giant oak cask barrel and it's called Idle Hour. And what's Hmm. wild is when you go to this oak cask barrel themed restaurant slash bar, you walk in, go to the back patio, and what is there? The Bulldog Cafe is is there. It's an actual location that you can go to today in 2024. Wow! And. So the interesting thing is that this isn't uh, the original location of the Bulldog Cafe. It's a, a recreation of that cafe. But this is actually so fascinating to me that the Bulldog Cafe in this movie is based on a real thing, which was the programmatic architecture, which bloomed alongside the automobile in the early 1940s because California residents and visitors were no longer walking as much. So they were taking cars more often, which meant that people were not. Easily attracted to go to an eatery. So they started building attractions that would make a car want to pull over, which Mm. is why you would be like driving down the highway in the middle of nowhere. And would you stop at a restaurant shaped like a bulldog? Hell yeah, you'd stop at a restaurant shaped like a bulldog. Yeah. It's an attraction. So this was like a thing that was happening. Uh the original Bulldog was built in 1928. Uh, was around till the 1960s, but this was an actual restaurant. This was an actual thing in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah. yeah so this is this is an actual giant bug-eyed looking bulldog. Yes.
1: It's a bulldog, folks. It's a restaurant that's in the, the shape external of facade a bulldog.
2: <laughs> is a is a is a the head bulldog. of
1: the bulldog is above yes. the door to the restaurant, and the arms of the bulldog are the sides of the restaurant. One arm says tamales, the other arm says ice cream, yep. which is an incredible combination for a cafe <laughs> to advertise on its exterior.
2: Yep. <laughs> the exterior of this restaurant is a giant puppy dog smoking a pipe.
6: Yes. And just and just like a which bulldog, is a barrel. those legs are load-bearing legs, and you're like, it can't hold up all that, <laughs> but a bulldog cafe and a bulldog can hold up all that. That little... Yeah. Heavy body is held up They're by these powerful uh, animals, folks. powerful, powerful, but yeah, it's, it's the coolest design ever. And also wild is when I was a kid, one of my favorite memories is when my parents, Stephen and Lynch took a young, a young impressionable uh, Christian to Disney world on a family trip. And the most incredible memory that I have, and it's just burned in my brain, having been a fan of the rocketeer, was in Orlando at that time, they had this exact set in Orlando. So you could go into the Bulldog Cafe. So I have like photos of me as a kid at the Bulldog Cafe. And I was just like, that to me was just the best thing in the world. I was like, this is the Rocketeer. And it was, I also recall it not being a popular attraction because this movie didn't do well. So I was just alone at the Bulldog Cafe. Everybody else was doing the other stuff. The
4: newest addition to Residential Street is our 30-foot Bulldog Cafe, it's featured in the brand new movie, The Rocketeer. It's where the flyers meet to eat. Now, if you'd like to catch more of this set, The Rocketeer just soared into theaters everywhere June 21st. Parked out front is a GB airplane, which was given to Cliff Seacourt, the movie's hero, by Howard Hughes at the very end of the film. around the corner if you look up to the left that's the urban counterpart to residential street it's new york street we're going to bypass it right now we're going to come back to a little later on
1: the tour absolutely mind-blowing can confirm cousin christian has in fact shared this these photographs uh with us yeah. uh maybe we yeah. should post them on the patreon or something i don't know like it, so. it's like i was blown away when i actually said i was Me like too. You know, this old grainy, like, you know, obviously like a, you know, te- like a photocopy or a whatever, scanned image, but of, a, of an old, you know, Polaroid, uh, basically, um, of, you know, baby Christian at, at the Bulldog Cafe. Yeah, Um, you know, and so now so been
6: here, folks, and the tamales are
1: great. If I'm not mistaken, that was the actual like Bulldog Cafe from this from this movie
6: I like think set, so right I think that's it, what I was about
2: to ask it, Do it you was know, the set
6: it, was that the original it, that had, was like the it had to be the set there's no other reason they would be building the full thing there like it just yeah. I, it had to be we have the space build it down here and just it was there around the time I went so they were like yeah it's an attraction But it was never like, I don't, it was never like, you know, nowadays they're like, oh, it's Cars World. But it wasn't like Rocketeer Land. They were just like, I don't know, let people see the set to that movie. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a wild.
2: So post-date, inside the Bulldog Cafe, post-date, Cliff and Jenny are grabbing a bite to eat.
1: Well, there's, yeah, I guess this is technically a continuation of the date. This is still. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, They went to
2: the movies. They went to the movies and now they're grabbing a bite to, to eat on their date. Yep. And they are having, I would say, a spirited conversation (laughs) with some men sitting at the bar.
6: (laughs) And then, get
5: this, fellas. At the end of the movie, he flies over the enemy trenches and he drops a bottle of champagne.
3: And let me guess. Right, it hits the good. general and we win the war, right? It was <laughs> symbolic. He was being chivalrous.
1: Cliff and his boys. Yeah. Oh we've got,
6: boy, here we go.
1: We first we first see Goose, uh, played by Don Pugsley and Skeets. That's William Sanderson. And they are all having a good old time dunking and clowning on this yeah. Noble Sinclair movie. Um and yeah jenny is very uh you know courageously uh trying to stand she's up annoyed. yeah well no, she's
2: she's fucking miffed
6: yeah i mean she's I mean, like understand you're dunking
2: on the movie that i wanted to see you're dunking on the i'm about to be in a movie with this guy and yeah. like you're having a laugh at it
6: and again this is where you know There's a lot of lines that are interesting here, but I just want to, I think I'm about to go back to my single ladies. These are all red flags for relationships with men. Cliff, the character of Cliff Secor just really like, despite being this like handsome guy, uh, very cool at heart, is a really selfish, um, self-centered, petty, insecure man. And that Correct. is all his actions are, you know, despite him being the hero and he does have a turn in this movie, but and this is true of the comic book too, that the more I read it, I was like, God, Cliff is a really kind of possessive, uh, a possessive boyfriend who doesn't see his own good. And I, and like later on in the movie, we'll get to, at least this movie acknowledges that bad behavior through PV. We'll get to that later. But I think like this scene really reinforces that. Ladies, if a fella is taking you on a date and is shitting all over the thing you wanted to do for fun, you drop his ass, honey. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like that you dump well, to that be, guy. Yes, he's he's a very
1: flawed protagonist. Um but to be fair, Cliff is you know, he he's he's on his home turf here. He's there, he's inside the bulldog. And he's surrounded by his boys.
2: Yeah, let's talk about this specific thing that they're having a laugh about. So so Cliff is is telling the guys about the movie that he just saw, Wings of Honor. And he says, get this, fellas. At the end of the movie, he flies over the enemy trenches and drops a bottle of champagne. And the guys are having like a good yuck. They're laughing it up about yeah. this because they think it's outlandish and totally unrealistic. And Jenny very annoyed says it was symbolic. He was being chivalrous. Yeah,
1: she's gamely trying to stand up to these, you know, group of uh, asshole men, you know, mansplaining about a movie. Something that we would never do or endorse uh, on on a, on this podcast. We we uh, we don't do that kind of thing here. Um, but yeah, so she she's like doing her her best effort to to, to defend the film. Um, and then, did you guys catch um, Malcolm? So I, this is actually s- sort of going off on a bit of a tangent, but um, did you notice the little look that that uh, Malcolm gives when, when he goes? So he's uh, you know sitting at the counter with the boys, and uh, Malcolm turns around. Malcolm's like the kind of older uh, member of the of the group. He's a World War One vet, um, and, he's, and he and uh, he turns around and he says, "Where'd he get the champagne? They didn't have a liquor. Uh, they didn't have liquor stores at the front, did they?" Uh, I think Skeet says more, that. W- Skeet yeah, that's says right. That. Sorry, Skeet, Skeet says that, and then Malcolm says, not that I recall. Would have been and nice, then, though.
5: Get this, fellas. At the end of the movie, he flies over the enemy trenches and he drops a
3: bottle of champagne. And let me guess. Okay, it hits the ahead. general, and we win the war, right? It was symbolic. <laughs> he was being chivalrous. Where did he get the champagne? Yeah. They didn't have
1: liquor stores at the front, did they? <laughs> not that I recall. <laughs> Would have been nice, though. Doesn't
3: matter where he got it from. It's not the point. It's
1: just and then he yes. kind of looks at his coffee cup or his yeah his little like coffee uh, mug that he's drinking from, and it is uh, the only indication that I that I could find in this film that I mean, what are we thinking here? There's there's booze in that coffee cup, right? Yes, are we, I are think we... I
6: I'm so glad you brought this up because later this I the thing that's so funny is this movie never outright says Malcolm is a crippling alcoholic, right?
1: never but the comic actually book. says
6: that the comic book does yes. like, and I think what's really interesting is that even as a kid, I recognized, and this is a real credit to the actor that plays Malcolm. The way he plays it is just a, a bit of this like sad, old broken man who's damaged, who wants to be good, but has troubles. And the way he mentions like, and there's a few things that come up in the sequence that are really important to this character. and makes you understand everything that happens to him throughout the rest of this movie. They say, yes, they don't have, like, do they didn't have liquor at the at the front lines? Did they? And Malcolm goes, not that I can recall. And his hands, a little shaky. Yeah. Kind of as he lifts up his cup and he kind of like gives an open eyed, like, yeah, you know, I'd love, I love that booze. Everyone here knows that. Right. Would have been, and, would uh, have been nice.
1: He says, suggestively nice. as he looks at his, uh, at his mug, which. Yeah. Right.
6: And then the next scene is a young girl walks into the frame and she's holding a little toy plane.
4: Malcolm, hmm? the wheel
0: came
6: off. Oh, oh, let me see, princess. Yeah,
0: sure, sure, we'll fix her up. Did I ever tell you about the time I got shot down by the Red Baron? Hmm? No? Oh, no, there I was, flying over the Ardennes on patrol. And all of a sudden, he comes screaming out of the sun, guns blazing, and then smack.
6: And he's his hand. He's barely able to like his hands are rattling, shaking, yeah. trying to hold this toy plane. He's got Ugh. like the shakes, and you're not really sure why. And it's probably the the alcohol not in his system that he's yeah, I know wanting. Why. He's got the shakes because he's <laughs> he's got the shakes because he's well, or had he's his bit.
1: just an older guy. You know, no he's, way. he's had a very this tough is, life, and yeah, I he's, he's yeah this a is where like one, one vet a, a,
2: A little compassion, a little empathy here. This is a man who probably has seen unimaginable atrocities. Honestly, Malcolm is
1: an incredibly empathetic character to me. Um, And we should shout out Eddie Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones is the actor portraying him. Um, An incredible incredible actor. Incredible
6: actor. And we heard his backstory on the podcast. Um, We know all about Eddie Jones. Jones And honestly, it was episode four. yeah, four, Yeah, totally fascinating. And I think he then, Malcolm says to a young girl, Did I ever tell you about that time I got shot down by the Red Baron, which to me is so very much like naked gun with the pilot telling the kid, Timmy, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Mm -hmm. Flight 209, this is Denver Flight Control.
0: You're approaching some rough weather. Please climb to 42,000 feet. Roger, Denver. We have a visitor Hello Hi
3: This is Captain Over, Mr. Murdoch, and Mr. Basta This is Joey Hammond Hi, Joey
0: Come on up here, you can see better Joey, we have something here for our special visitors Would you like to have it?
3: Thank you Thanks a lot
0: Sure You ever been in a cockpit before?
3: No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before
0: You ever seen a grown man naked? Do you want me to check the weather, Clarence? No, why don't you take care of it?
6: Just like this, completely. Like you're not supposed to say this to a young kid. Like yeah. you're, yes. you want know, to this horrible war story? Well, is, well
1: also brings and, to mind the Great Waldo Pepper. But that's a uh, oh
6: story. oh for yeah. sure. We'll we'll yeah, yeah. talk and, about Waldo. Also, if you notice,
2: the girl's mom—I believe it's her mom—who's working the griddle.
6: I don't know. I as, don't know if that's
1: ever established. But I don't think whether, I, I, I don't think that they. Okay, whether
2: or not it's whether or not it's his. We'll mom. talk about her Millie in, is, in a second, it, but yeah, yeah. Whether or not Millie is her mom is sort of beside the point. Yeah. But you notice Millie as she's hearing this thing about. Did I ever tell you about the time I was shot down by the Red Baron? The girl looks at Millie and she shakes her head. And yeah. Like no, don't believe it. Like he's just no. Yeah. And, and yeah, like Christian, you were saying Malcolm is... Wait, 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 with, sorry. With I don't toys. think
1: that's, I don't know if you're definitely, or if you're totally reading that correctly. Because um, I think it's, it's... She nods Malcolm, yes that yes. Yeah, Malcolm that. says, did I ever tell you the story? And she nods yes. But then Millie, played by the great Margot Martindale, who is the, um, you know, the sort of uh, owner or, or kind of like, you know, lady in charge of this place behind the counter, um, she looks at Millie. Uh, you know, behind Malcolm's back. Or sorry, she looks at um, fuck Patsy. Patsy's the little girl. Um, Millie. Uh, behind uh Malcolm's back, looks at Patsy and says, "No, you should say no." Like silently, like shakes her head no, right. so right. that uh Patsy then says no, so that Ma- basically allowing Malcolm to tell the story. Be-
6: yeah, like, as, like she's, as, let this as, old like, man have his glory. She's like, yeah. let him
2: tell his story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man. Which is so.
1: I mean, warm and and maternal and everything like if she's not the mom like she is the mom to everyone in this cafe like she is truly like a maternal figure um millie
6: and it speaks to everyone respecting malcolm too like he's obviously this troubled individual and he's uh, and he's about to say, like, oh, no, well, there I was flying over the Ardennes on patrol when all of a sudden he comes screaming out of the sky, meaning the red bear and the pilot, famous pilot from World War One that shot down many, many planes. Uh, guns blazing When smack. And, I, you know, the the scene changes when Malcolm shaky hands, a little toy wheel goes flying over to uh, Jenny's bowl and splashes her. But what's important to me before we even move to that is – the Ardennes, I just – I'm not going to go into the full history. It's honestly too complicated to get into. <laughs> right, here we go. But I think it's important to know that like the Battle of Ardennes, there were 11,200 casualties. So that yeah. meant that like Malcolm, like yeah, I'd be drinking if I came back from that yeah. horror as well. This mm-hmm. guy was in the Great War, World War One. So we're not at World War II yet, folks. That's coming up. Right. Malcolm is a World War I veteran, and World War I was horrific. It is truly known as like the worst war ever. Uh the amount of You might
2: put a little something in your coffee, folks. You yeah. might put
6: some stuff in Can't your coffee. Say I blame the guy. So Malcolm has truly uh seen horrors. So I think and I think like that's what comes to this is the way Eddie Jones plays the character and how Malcolm is, his whole like being is he's like struggling to just Go another day. Like, yeah. I just get that whole sense from how he portrays his character, and you feel for him. It's a, I agree with you. I don't know why, but seeing his eyes, his eyes are so empathetic. Uh, and you, he's so hang dog. Want he wants yeah, to do the talked, right thing. But we've, we've talked about these
2: characters that worked at the airfield in this period of, of time when the movie is set in the first episode or two. And it just, it, it reminds me of that conversation that we had that like, things were very hard yeah (laughs) there were lots of people going through lots of very hard times and the color scheme uh just sort of like reinforces all that the the entire like this whole scene is sort of like a clay khaki color Mm -hmm. um and it's all just sort of very like muted and like sad
6: yes
1: well it's kind of yeah i mean we haven't talked about the the interior of the of the bulldog cafe um I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's sad, but there is like because it is such a warm and and familial place as well. Like everyone does feel like so like well, like literally everyone calls each other by their first name. It's like these people are just hanging out like they've all been here in the same place for years together they all know yes. everything about each other. It's it really is like a family atmosphere.
6: It's um, home. It is it's home. 100% yeah. home. And that's yeah. mom where, cooking for everybody. Where, where, yeah. where I'll
2: push back against that and Jenny brings this up later is like, you know, when she's saying to Cliff, "Hey, can oh, we'll, we
1: we'll we're get to go, go for a real day?" Worry. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to that. We'll get to conversation, that. Yeah.
2: But like just to I guess what I'm getting at is like everyone in this place, you're saying like it's home, it's home, it's home. Yeah, it's not an upscale, upscale establishment. Place, that's There's for no one fancy. There's no one fancy and there's no one there's no one in this place that's doing really well financially. That's
1: true. Yes, no. that is correct. No. Which is why Millie is so, like, just loving and caring and like. But it is
2: salt of the earth, to your point. Yeah, like, I everybody think it is, it, is there dirty. There is there is a warmth. There is a warmth about like, hey, we're all poor. Yeah, and we're all sort of this is, this for most of us is like a really nice, special thing. Yeah, you know, like.
6: And there is yeah, something about the, the American diner that is still to this day when I go into a diner, I just feel a level of, of just everybody's in it, you know? Like we're all <laughs> – like we all can admit this food is not very good. We all know that. But that's yeah. not why we're here. We're here because it's like we're all in this little common, warm, inviting, homey space that's not our home. I think there's mm-hmm. something so – american about the diner uh and it's really hard to explain that to when you go to europe people are like i've had europeans come and they go to a diner and they're like why do you people like this it's disgusting and mm. it's like yeah i know it's like a greasy not good burger we ate at a
4: classic american diner i've seen it in movies and i've always wanted to eat in one and then also your the broadway double hamburger and what did you want no. just the one two three and how would you get over easy and then what pies do you have I we'll love the cherry Lisa took me to Town Topic Hamburgers, which has been around since the 30s in Kansas City. This was my first time in the Midwest and I also wasn't born here in the US, so I'm particularly fascinated with the spots that have been around for this long. They kind of remind me of the movie Pleasantville, I don't know if you've seen it. Anyway, the food was solid. Everything was cooked perfectly, perfectly seasoned. Nothing was too greasy. Now that I think about it, this spot was really good. And for the ultimate diner experience, we got a cherry pie. It was kind of nice to eat something that wasn't too frilly. Just good old American comfort
6: food. It's a it's a, you know, a, a cup of coffee that's honestly burned and not actually very good, but that's yeah. not why you like it. You like it because it's wholesome. In my
2: family, growing up, we didn't have money, and to me, like a diner, we o- almost never went out to eat. But like going to a diner was like a restaurant. Like, yeah, you Big know, time. not not like a fancy restaurant, but like it was still a fun yeah. night out. Yeah, special yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, like. Anytime you were going to a place where food was prepared for you and brought to you by yeah. a
1: server, I was like- And by the way, any food you wanted because the menu was like yeah, 13 you pages. Pick yeah, Anything,
2: yes. you could get French fries. Like, I mean, like that, it's special. Yeah. Yes. It's special. Yeah.
1: So I Guaranteed think you're like, going to get a milkshake for dessert. Yeah. It's going to be a good night.
6: And that is all, you know, this place where the, the whole crew from Bigelow, like they've- literally spent every minute basically together working at the airfield and where do they go to take a break all together to the same place these people it is a family away from family it's just like if these people are true salt of the earth workers I want to go to the Bulldog Cafe it seems like a it's like Cheers where everybody knows your name it's uh, the Bulldog is just home away from home Yes. It's like a warm hug. It's like getting a warm hug. I, want to, I want to live there. I wanna live there. That's not what Jenny wanted on her special date because she is from a boarding school, seems to be from a different class, and this is kind of where the whole dynamic continues right. to show the, the 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 you know the friction between these two characters. That Cliff is a have not, and Jenny is uh, dreaming be, she's she's an a dreaming to be. She's a striver, she's a striver.
1: She yeah, she might not be somebody yet, but she's certainly striving to
2: be. Yeah, um, she wants more. She yes. wants
6: more in life. And but that's what they get in a fight about. This is, uh, you know, Malcolm's little hand flies, uh, can't do the toy very well. Yeah. Little little wheel this on the toy goes flying pops over. pops off. Smashes into her bowl.
2: Malcolm is trying to fix this toy plane for this little girl. He's, he's uh, you know, uh, working on the wheel. Really it slips, it pops it's up in the air, card. and Just... it lands in a bowl of Jenny's soup, which splatters all over her white blouse.
4: Malcolm,
0: hmm? the wheel came off. Oh, oh, let me see, Princess. Yeah, sure. Sure, we'll fix her up. Did I ever tell you about the time I got shot down by the Red Baron? Hmm? No? No. Oh, you know, there I was flying over the Ardennes on patrol. And all of a sudden, he comes screaming out of the sun, guns blazing, and then smack. Bullseye, Ace. I'm sorry, Jenny.
3: Oh, it's okay, Malcolm. Thanks, Cliff. You know, Cliff. Once in a while, it wouldn't hurt to try someplace new. Maybe away from the airfield.
5: Like where? The Copa, the Brown Derby. Why not the South Seas Club? While you're dreaming.
1: I wanted to mention Jenny, and the grace that she exhibits even before this wheel uh plops into her soup and and splatters her shirt uh, while these guys you know she's teamed up like four against one talking about this movie she's trying to defend it they're having a laugh talking about you know getting champagne on the front lines blah 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 and jenny not only does she very gamely attempt at first to defend uh the film But then she says, after she realizes like, oh, these guys are just making fun of me and all laughing at me, she just goes, forget it. Very quietly, she goes, forget it. And I just admire that so much for a woman trying to talk about movies to a group of five dudes ganging up on her uh, for attempting this. And then for just how quickly she realizes like, oh, this is an absolute waste of my time and I'm going to save my breath and my dignity. And the fact that she doesn't make a big scene she's just like forget it uh such grace yeah, man. and
2: composure and just the writing was on the wall here for yes. cliff yeah about like it's just like you're not this girl you're barely in this girl's league you're not in this girl's oh, league and yeah. she's 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 trying man she's trying to
1: she is yeah. way above his league and yeah but yeah.
2: But, and, but she's trying to like she's doing she, her best she's,
1: yeah She's, he, he, trying
2: to, she's trying to give him a shot. She's really yes. trying to give him a shot, but he just keeps proving to be a meathead. Yeah, yes. exactly.
6: Not only a meathead, he's just, um, again, this speaks to the insecurity of Cliff Secord, which is, I think the subtext is there, the entire Rocketeer series. I think Dave Stevens, the artist, while a very creative, clever individual, was a deeply insecure person because the character of Cliff Secord is 100% based on him. He is yeah. Cliff Secord. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff in his own life mirror some of the things that again, like his Dave Stevens view and philosophy on women, even in how he portrayed women on the page is that when he's like, do you know who the perfect woman is? And when people asked him that they were like, "Uh, I don't know, like Betty page. And he's like, no, it's, it's Betty pages, right arm and Vic Veronica legs, her legs. Like he had this impossible, wildly unrealistic expectation for what was a perfect woman. And as a result, he was a deeply, from my standpoint, a deeply insecure individual. And that oozes into the character of cliff. Now this is where I, I like the character of Jenny more than Betty in, uh, in the comic book. Cause Betty is kind of like a little bit meaner and like kind of knows that she's better and like toys with cliff in a kind of mm-hmm. s- slightly sadistic way. Jenny yeah. is a far more kind of like realized, like she actually loves cliff and he's too stupid to realize it. Yeah. And he's too insecure to recognize that he just needs to put effort into this relationship for it to actually be a relationship. So I kind of like that about this movie. I think it's a better portrayal of this female character in the Rocketeer world.
1: Yeah, despite her, you know, getting dragged to this, uh, you know, even though to us perhaps it is an absolute uh, dream fantasy establishment, you know, it's not the nicest place to have dinner uh, out Uh, And now she's getting made, you know, ganged up on and made fun of by a bunch of guys. Uh, Then a a toy wheel, plane wheel uh, plops into her soup and splatters her dress. Uh, Despite all that, or, you know, shirt, despite all that, she remains completely cool and gracious and composed about everything. She's really putting in so much effort. Um, and then, uh, I love how, uh, by the way, how Cliff, uh, takes the wheel out of the soup and licks it clean and gives it back, uh, to, uh, to, to Patsy. Um, and she's like, thanks Cliff. Again, a reminder, everyone is family here. Everyone, uh, would like, you know, uh, just, you know, get the shirt off their back for each other. Um, and it's just this like incredibly wholesome and sweet and, and, and nostalgic, uh, you know, sort of version Uh, of America you know this such a fully realized world it's like the you know the music playing on the radio and just all every single interaction is just like so um yeah like just you know homey and and wholesome um but anyway so yeah it's at this point that she finally Jenny finally reaches the point where she's like you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna try ever so like uh, just like uh, subtly and and modestly uh, to, to see if I can do something here. And she proposes to Cliff. She says, You know,
3: Cliff, once in a while, it wouldn't hurt to try someplace new. Maybe away from the airfield.
5: Like where? The Copa? The Brown Derby? Why not the South Seas Club While you're dreaming?
1: You know, Cliff, once in a while, it wouldn't hurt to try someplace new. Maybe away from the airfield. So, she uses the words, once in a while, wouldn't hurt, try, and maybe. You, like, could not couch this request or proposal, like, any more. This passive. passive way to approach smallest, it. This is the smallest, most modest, yeah. most, like, like, polite, gentle request no, of all time.
2: This is not and like an is, ultimatum.
1: And what does She's Cliff do? Like he immediately fucking shoots it down (laughs) with extreme prejudice. Red flag, lady.
6: Red flag. Like,
1: where? The Copa? The Brown Derby? Why not the South Seas Club while you're dreaming? Just, like, basically, like, go ahead and take that bowl of soup and, like, dump it on her head, Cliff. Like, you fucking asshole. And
6: I also think when I read this, I'm like, this is also self-hatred. I yes. think this is also self yes. male 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 self hatred. I
1: had an extreme evolution with this whole yeah. back and forth, but yeah, go I on. do.
6: I do think like what we're seeing is like he's not shooting down Jenny; he's hating himself that he can't afford the lifestyle she wants.
1: Yeah, he's, he's basically he's like, acting. Like, oh, God, in why don't of, you dream like, self defense?
6: Basically, yeah, this is a pure like lashing out, like hurt guy who knows he's just a broke scrub is what TLC would call him. Um. What mess with scraps that's the other yes. point of that song but cliff knows it deep down and he hates himself and as a result he lashes out at those he loves that is a classic male dynamic that yes. men do that ladies if he's doing that it might be that that he hates himself and that's why he's dumping all that toxicity on you um, yeah and that's what cliff is doing here he's like ah he's like saying that like these Locations is like, I know you want the brown derby life. I know you want the Cope, I know you want the South Seas, but that's a dream, lady. I'm too yeah. broke. That's basically what he's screaming. And she, yeah, so sweetly is like, you know what? Okay. I hear, I hear that, you know, I've stepped on the third rail in your life. But she goes, How about this? We'll go out and have a real nice night on the town after you win the nationals. And even though this is about to change the conversation entirely, what we're about to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Wait. It's, I it's, think that yet again, <laughs> she's uh She's trying, she's trying she's so hard yeah. in a way that feels very, um, I feel like it's an authentic relationship between these two, which is why this movie again works. The dynamics yeah. between characters, uh, and you know, PV and cliff is a really important dynamic father, son, but the cliff Jenny dynamic is to me also just like, oh, that's like, I, I can see that there's something there, but they're miles apart despite being inches apart. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, as as furious as it made me when I saw Cliff, you know, shoot down Jenny's uh g- gentle, like most gentle possible request, it made so much sense for the character. It's it's brilliant writing because, as you said, w- number one, Cliff is broke. We know that he doesn't have any goddamn money, and he's got to f- figure out a way to to you know convey that um, without just saying like, hey, I can't afford to go there, uh, and number two, he's incredibly insecure. The reason, besides money, that he brings his date to this bulldog shaped diner every single time they go out is because this is his happy place this is his little security bubble you know his his safe space and it's the one place uh you know besides the the airfield and I, apparently this place is like right next to the airfield cuz Jenny says like maybe we could get somewhere away from the airfield but this is the one place where he's comfortable where everyone knows him and is on his level uh you know like his meaning his class level no one judges him no one ever makes him feel inadequate or anxious or inferior. Um, And this is like the, you know, like it's just incredibly comforting, uh, secure place for him. And he's terrified of being pulled out of it. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, like, I'll be honest with you. I can relate. (laughs) So yeah, 100%. uh,
6: If you're at a fancy work event or something that like, you feel so out of step, from a just pure, like, you know your class is lower than that. Well, Well, especially, yeah. Awful. You just feel like, God, am I, I guess I'm trash. (laughs)
1: Especially especially when you're on a date. And not just a date with any girl, but a date with the most beautiful woman in the history of mankind in the world. And this might seem counterintuitive, but hear me out. Because again, I speak from some experience here. In a way, the more beautiful and desirable and, let's say, out of your league uh, the person is that you're with that, that might be attempting to, you know, extract you out of this security bubble, the more terrifying and difficult that extraction process can be because the stakes are just that much higher. So, you know, the more kind of like perfect and, and on a pedestal this um, this this partner is, you know, the greater the chances are for failure and uh, once you're outside that security bubble, you know, sort of floating free without a safety net, uh, the greater the shame and the humiliation and the heartbreak will be if you, if you fail and if you don't yeah, make it. Just
6: feeling undeserving of that love, which again, it's a self self-hatred thing. I think Cliff Secord deep down is a self-hating individual, not because he's not capable of being good or capable of being great. Um, he aspires to it. And we see how that, helps his journey but in this moment he's a broke bum pilot who just blew up his one chance to earn actual money and to actually get his name out there which was the nationals like we and in this moment he is at rock bottom as an emotional state that a a, a man in 1938 can be he's a yeah he's a broke bum
1: yeah it's it's totally true and he's absolutely paralyzed with with fear and and anxiety and insecurity about you know being exposed uh, as as you know tr- truly the the bum that that he you know thinks that he might be um which is why he's like I'm I'm not leaving this bulldog shaped uh, restaurant I can't like I can't go out there and and you know like then if I if I do fail and if I do blow it like all of my fears and insecurities will be confirmed. And I really, you know, uh, I I will truly be the person that I'm afraid that I might be. Um, and so I really had this like whole evolution with the scene where at first I was like blinded with rage and confusion being like, dude, what are you doing? Like this woman is like amazing and you're just blowing it and you're shooting her down like left and right. And then the more I thought about it and reflected on it, the more empathy I had for him um, because he's really just trying to, Basically, pull her down to his league because he knows that he can't make it in her league. Um, but I don't
6: know, I, I don't know if I'm empathetic towards him. I, I mean, Chris, are you empathetic? Like, you've heard our side. Are you hearing our case? Do you think Cliff is empathetic mm. at, at this point, or no?
2: Yes and no. I I, 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 I kind of hear it both ways. I don't I don't ultimately find him incredibly empathetic, but I understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, which is I mean he's like, making the
1: wrong choice. He's making the wrong choice, and
2: he's going about it the wrong way. But I why he's... I under I can look at this objectively, like Ben says, and sort of understand why he's doing what he's doing, which is just that he feels that his only way to ever get with a woman like this is for her to see the world through his lens, which is fundamentally like lower than hers. And she's just aspiring to bigger and better things.
6: Yes. Yeah, I just, uh, I take it, you know, after really sitting on the scene, I hear all sides, but at at the base, it's like the surface level actions of Cliff are selfish and mean to Jenny. And like, I think that, Yes. is, uh, you know, a repugnant quality within Cliff. It is not his endearing quality. Um, and, I, and I think he does have a character redemption arc. The more he becomes who he really is meant to be. And very much like a Clark Kent Superman kind of like, he doesn't have his thing yet. He hasn't found the thing that makes him proud. <laughs> Jenny has just said, you know, we're going to have a real night out on the town after you win the Nationals. And the guys all look back very confused at what yeah. she just said. And Malcolm goes, yeah. so you're going to fly in the Nationals after all?
3: Okay, how about this? We'll go out and have a real night on the town after you win the Nationals.
5: Yeah, swell. After
0: I win the Nationals. You're going to fly in the Nationals after all? Well, I'm glad to hear it after that landing today.
3: How about a warm-up, Malcolm? Huh? Huh? You said there were a few bumps.
0: Oh, boy, I'll say. She faltered like a kite when she hit the runway. We thought old oh, Cliffy's number was up. What with the fire and all?
6: Hey, I'm yeah. glad to hear that after that landing today. And uh, Millie tries to save the day by saying, how about a warm-up, Malcolm?
2: Yeah, and, she uh, tries
6: to step in, but it's too late. Yep, and Jenny starts to learn what actually happens. You said there were a few yeah. bumps. And Malcolm goes, oof. Boy, I'll say. She <laughs> faltered like a kite when she hit the runway. We thought old Cliffy's number was up with the fire and all. And you're just like, God, of all at the which point, Millie race,
1: literally smacks him from behind with a wooden spoon. Yep. And he's like, and oh, oh, did I did I say something wrong?
6: Oh. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is when the house of cards that Cliff has barely built with Jenny yeah. has just all collapsed uh, because he's basically been lying to her the entire time the last few hours he's never mentioned that he almost died today and rightfully so Jenny is mad about it fellas she's like yes what the hell you said there were a few bumps
0: oh, boy I'll say she folded like a kite when she hit the runway we thought oh Clippy's number was up what with the fire and all
5: I, I was gonna tell you I didn't want to ruin your evening.
3: Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. You'd rather make a fool out of me? I'm sorry. I don't want you to be sorry, Cliff. I want you to stop treating me like like a stranger. When something goes wrong, I should be the first one to know about it. I shouldn't be the last.
1: Yeah, she's, she's pissed. Um... Cliff, you know, attempts to uh, to to make tries excuses, to smooth it over. You basically, know, says
2: I I didn't want to upset you, and Jenny basically didn't says, want to ruin "Thank your you," evening,
6: but blah blah blah. I'm you'd sorry. rather
2: you'd rather make a fool of me.
6: Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, he goes for a split second. You're like, okay, Cliff is doing the right thing; he's apologizing. But then, Cliff, oh, Cliff, you do what is arguably the most awful thing: is that you know. He, She says, I don't want you to be sorry, Cliff. I just want you to stop treating me like a stranger. When something goes wrong, I should be the first person to know about it, not the last. You said there were a few bumps.
0: Boy, I'll say. She faltered like a kite when she hit the runway. We thought, oh, Cliffy's number was up. What with the fire and all.
5: I I was going to tell you. I didn't want to ruin your evening.
3: Thank you. It's very thoughtful of you. You'd rather make a fool out of me? I'm sorry. I don't want you to be sorry, Cliff. I want you to stop treating me like... like a stranger. When something goes wrong, I should be the first one to know about it. I shouldn't be the last.
5: Jen, everyone knows because they were at the airfield.
3: I had an audition. It was important to me. I understand.
5: Just like the last time when I flew the regionals. You got a big part. You stood behind Myrtle Loy with a bowl of grapes. You
6: stood behind Myrtle Loy with a big bowl of grapes, which is so, Ugh. so mean. He's like Fucking such an asshole about it. Just he's... cruel, petty,
1: defensive, yep. little childish, petulant bullshit from Cliff. Yeah. So he just disgusting because again... he knows that he's cooked. And instead of just apologizing and owning it, he has to double down and and try to turn the tables back on Jenny because he's a fucking child, yep. and yeah, and it, you uh, know
6: it's a uh, awful behavior, and Jenny rightfully so politely storms off again and with utter with, utter grace, grace, with total and utter I, grace and maturity sorry and- i gotta back us i'm go gotta back, send us go back. Back. Gotta go back.
2: back so i think one there there you skipped over this christian and i just wanted to throw it out there so jenny's upset at cliff that he, uh sh- he didn't tell her about the plane issues and cliff says you know he didn't want to upset her and she's like you know Thanks, but you'd rather make a fool of me. And Cliff says, basically, the only reason that these guys know about his mishaps with the plane and the air and they know about the crashes is because they were there at the airfield, unlike her. Right. Yeah. And it's just this sort of like, again, we were talking about like, you know, how empathetic can you be for Cliff? And that to me was like, yeah, it's hard to have empathy for this guy because he's his view of her it's a blind spot his expectation for her is that like she should just be like one of the guys yeah yeah it's like like should she not have ambitions and a life like she's pursuing her dreams just like you are pursuing yours man right you want to be are you there
1: at all of jenny's auditions cliff like
2: i doubt it but we're 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 helping her or 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 yeah or supporting her or asking her like like anytime he even inquires about how her acting going it's always through the lens of making fun of her right she's or always being the insecure butt of,
1: about her male co-stars
2: Yeah. she's always the butt of his one of his stupid jokes whenever whenever he whenever the topic of her acting career comes up yeah so the idea that like she isn't fawning over every detail of like how his how his uh you know how his his flight, went earlier in the day it's like
1: yeah not even a race by the way just like a practice like trial yeah
2: and god forbid that she god forbid that he would mention to her hey i almost died yeah Yeah.
6: but i think what's interesting though is we're seeing this all through the lens of people that grew up in the 90s 2000s 2010s and 2020s where again like i uh, a a, a total sidebar but relevant is a little passion project of mine over the recent days have been uh, cutting together a little home movie that has had me going through a lot of family tapes and in this mm-hmm. journey I found family tapes of my grandma. Of course, a lot of footage our, of
1: our cousin. And a lot of our cousin Chris. antics. Yep.
6: Hello cousin. Oh my God, you are the fucking best. You've always been there to listen when I am fucking stressed. We may not always agree, but we fucking love each other. You're warm and perfect. If you were a season, you'd be summer. Your personality is out of this motherfucking world. To me, you are a shooting star, a shiny fucking pearl. So holy fuck to you, my cousin. I just have to say you're the one that I look up to as you fucking slay and um you know all I, of us are all of us are in these
2: home yeah, movies all of both. us fully represented
6: yeah all of us are represented and i promise you this actually is relevant to the conversation <laughs> our grandmother grandma patty who we've mentioned we um, love her we love Shout grandma out patty, patty.
2: patty. Uh, we uh, we we have her recipes we
6: post them on social media incredibly uh strong-willed uh the best tour, of the best uh, just a force of nature like it really hard to describe how great she was true um but uh it was interesting there was this tape I found that I kind of forgot had happened where Grandma Patty was just telling her whole life story right to camera. And what's interesting is she talks about at one point how she doesn't have a lot of empathy for folks that complain about kind of like the struggles for women today cuz he's like you she's like you have no idea how many leaps and changes we've made since the 40s. Like, mm. you know, in her mind at that time when she recorded it probably in the 90s, she was saying, like, you have no idea how much things have changed for the better for women in this country. And I think that that is the change here that we're talking about 1938, where women were expected to just be um, <clears throat> subservient housekeepers and not have career ambitions. And I think, like, Cliff is doing exactly what a 30s dude would do. Not that it's right. Right. But I think that this is very true as mm-hmm. to like yeah. what a male, yeah, yeah. a man's expectation of a girlfriend was is that she's just supposed to be there solely to support him and his ambitions, which is um, to be clear. I think it's well-written and yeah. well-acted yet more like it's, it's, yeah. authenticity. It's, it's, yeah. it's authentic. It's totally yeah. authentic, but he's to wrong. The era. We, fortunately, yeah. people are recognizing that that dynamic is horseshit, <laughs> like that it's unfair. And, you know, uh, people call it the patriarchy now or whatever, but like, it's, that dynamic has has to change because it's a uh, it's and it's good to recognize that Cliff's behavior is boorish and unacceptable and that Jenny really should run away from this guy because he he's deeply insecure <laughs> like yeah. you know um and, and it's a dynamic that we should uh, at least acknowledge
1: and again incredible for the writers of this film and for Dave Stevens you know the the creator of the character to it's not like they made this guy like they it's not like they they Thought this guy was cool, and it's only in hindsight in 2024 that we're able to see like, oh, he was actually like a little retrograde. Like, no, they full on knew that this guy was flawed. Like, they, you know, I think are are on the right side of history in 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 the creation and writing of this character. Like, you know, they weren't trying to portray this guy as like the hero until you know the the evolution that he that he undergoes. Um, and I just love that they. You know, created this, this, you know, the the protagonist, the hero of this uh, Disney superhero slash action movie, adventure movie, as being like, yeah, an an immature piece of shit. Like, it's it's... pretty, pretty amazing and brilliant. And like, kind of before, like, anti heroes were like cool.
6: And also, Jenny, the way she storms off is also pointed and telling that she turns to Millie and says, Good night, Millie.
3: I want you to stop treating me like, like a stranger. When something. Goes wrong, I should be the first one to know about it. I shouldn't be the last.
5: Jan, everyone knows because they were at the airfield.
3: I had an audition. It was important to me. I understand.
5: Just like the last time when I flew the regionals, you got a big part. You stood behind Myrna Loy with a bowl of grapes.
3: Good night, Millie. Thank you for the soup.
4: Well, go after her, you dope.
6: She doesn't say good night to any other man in the room cuz she's like you're all schmucks basically. You're all assholes and good night to the one redeeming person in this room, Millie. She yes, only good says night, it to Millie,
1: Millie, "Thank you for the soup." Yep. And calmly gets up and walks, walks out. out. And just Millie, a an image of a vision of elegance and yep, virtue embrace. and yep. power, honestly too. Like for her to to just take control of that situation so fully, and just be like, and not make a scene, not get in a big fight, not yell and scream, but just be like, "Oh, I'm out.
2: Goodbye." Yep. Like and so, Millie says, perfect. "Well, go after her, you dope."
1: Yep, because Millie is the mom to everyone here, and yep. is so wise. uh She correctly instructs Cliff, like, "Go repair the th- the fuck up that you just made, dude."
6: And like a classic dude, not understanding how bad he made that situation. Runs off with the sandwich in his hand, A burger is, in his
1: hand. I love that choice. Napkin <laughs> like, still tucked in.
6: <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I gotta go chase after her, but I'm still hungry. I'm in this. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the gonna, middle of my I'm sandwich. I'm gonna waste this good half burger I got here."
2: Twenty eight fifty three. Just real quick freeze frame, right before the door opens. I'm just fascinated by the uh, the pricing of the ice cream and and the sandwiches. Oh, on the, the, on the, the board. Yeah, on the same. So we got twenty. 25 cents a pint for ice cream 45 cents a quart and then it looks like a toasted sandwich is 15 cents mm.
6: soup and bread is five cents we Pretty got some deal. uh 10 cent food options i mean the bulldog is very good these can't, can't beat it can't, these prices are terrific yeah so, you those know, are fantastic not, prices these prices not are wrong incredible. about the prices you know um yeah so jenny
2: jenny Jenny hops on the bus before Cliff can catch her. Jenny's hopping on the bus. She timed that perfectly. That
1: that getaway because that bus is literally pulling away as she's boarding it. And again, the period details. Yeah, Yeah,
2: two things here. One, I love that um, this is what looks like a school bus, (laughs) but this is you know it's uh, this was like a you know commuter. Uh, Mass transportation bus, and then to Christian. I know this is sort of a specialty of yours. We are at the corner of signs Encino and what is it? Can you zoom in?
6: Encino Avenue and And
2: Oxnard. Is it Oxnard? Oxnard.
6: Wow! So yeah,
2: Encino Avenue and Oxnard Street. I think. Wow. So
6: this okay? This places us again, I was, oh man, this is wild. I was right. Where are we? We are in the Sepulveda Basin. I said this a while ago that I was like, he's, this basically puts us in the Sepulveda Basin. It puts us exactly in the Sepulveda uh, Basin Park. Holy crap. I thought I was just (laughs) like, kind of like spitballing it being like, based on all these markers. But like, if that was a, you know, a game where I was guessing the location, I was dead on the money. I threw a bullseye. It is It is in the Sepulveda Basin, which is in, uh, you know, it's west of Sherman Oaks, west of the now uh, 405 near Encino, but not totally out there. Um, It's an Encino village. You're in Encino. It's an Encino man situation. (laughs) Cliff – is an Encino man. <laughs> it's just he like let's the let's just throw short out on. there. Yep, yep, we get that footage again, folks. No wheezing the juice. Kashmir, Rajni,
1: you just chill. No but still. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro. We figure we're a little juice. No wheezing
4: the juice. we the juice. No, no, no wheezing the juice.
0: Yo, we Chill, hey, hey, just, just
6: chill. No, but, but, uh, chill. No, no, no. I'll be back. Yep. But what's also wild is you will see buses like kind of not this wild, but there are like weird having grown up on the East Coast with this very specific vision of what a bus looks like. When I moved to California, and started to see school buses out here. They are like a little bit more rounded and which is so weird. I'm like, what? These hmm. are like almost like Art Deco buses, but I guess uh West Coast love their little rounded shapes.
1: This bus looks so cool. I love that it's on screen for like two seconds, but it has all the period details. It says Los Angeles motor coach lines on the top. Um and you're just like, oh yeah, that's that would be a that looks like a commuter bus from yep. the 1930s. And there's a uh, sign
6: on the on the pole for a circus that's in town for 15 cents. So it's like a lot of little, wow. lot of little period era. So stuff. So many details.
1: Stuff. It's yep. so rich. Yeah, such a yep. completely fully realized world.
6: And at this point, Malcolm comes out, and again, this Eddie Jones plays oh my this God. character with such absolutely a heartbreaking, sad. Like he is a guy who's haunted by his past and his decisions this guy oozes that he's haunted and he now thinks he's responsible for what just happened even though the bowl of soup has nothing to do with it he Mm -hmm. thinks oh my god i'm so sorry And, and you know cliff is like you know oh don't worry about it malcolm it's not your fault
0: I, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I really Oh, Malcolm,
5: up. it's okay.
6: It's all right. It's not your fault. But the way Malcolm just looks, feels yeah. like he has just, and this plays into his character later in a sequence we'll get yeah. into, that he feels deep guilt that he just ruined Cliff's life. He just thinks, he's and like, I, I ruined his life. I ruined his relationship. This is all my fault mm-hmm. because I, I, my stupid, drunken hands couldn't handle that little wheel. I ruined everything. And I, I without it even being subtext, said. The
2: subtext, yeah, the subtext I get from this, I don't know about you guys, is that he's like, I did it again. Yes. Mm, yeah. That he's just not the sharpest like, guy anymore. He's, like, yeah, he's, like, like when he's coming out to apologize to Cliff, he's like, I'm sorry I keep fucking up. I'm sorry I keep blowing these dates for you. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. this is, like, not the first time that this has happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably
1: a good read, yeah. Um, but he is so genuinely... You can tell he really does feel like shit. Like, he is so sad and so just beaten down looking. But Cliff, like, like again, like, even though Cliff is, you know, more or less an irredeemable asshole you're never totally angry at him because you do see him as deep down, like a sweet guy who's just very insecure and very immature. But all the, all the sort of meanness and and pettiness that's, that's uh, coming out of him is coming from just this position of like weakness. It's not, you know, ever smug or, or like, you know, sadistic cruelty uh, coming from like a position of power. He's just this, this weak little, little like injured, you know, like, like, you know, young animal. Um, and he's in the way he says, oh, it's all, uh, it's, a, it's all right. It's not your fault. Or, yeah, oh, Malcolm, it's okay. It's all right. It's not your fault. And gives him a pat on the, on the shoulder <laughs> with the hand that he's still holding the hamburger in
2: um, and it's just a very. Touching I felt scene. conflicted there. I was like, on the one hand, that's really generous of him. That he's like, ah, oh, don't beat yourself up, buddy. Like, on the one hand, I was like, oh, that that's real compassionate. Like, because Eddie, the uh, the the Malcolm character is like obviously crushed. Yeah, he's not a but. On the guy. other hand, on the other hand, it's like you still don't get it, man. Like yeah, you no. still just don't. That's get a good point. That you just she let a walk out. Dime piece. Walk out the door. She walked out because of Cliff.
6: Yeah. And, and again, this speaks to Cliff being kind of a selfish, not kind of, he's a selfish character who can't see anyone else. Again, like Malcolm is broken here. Like, uh, if you would, freeze frame at 29.18, like 29.18, and it's Malcolm standing alone outside the Bulldog. Yeah. After after Cliff the has said it's all right
1: man in there is some
6: I swear to God, like I've mentioned it before, but this is a Norman Rockwell painting.
1: I like, literally took a screenshot of this exact yeah. frame and put it it's in just, my notes because his,
6: his
2: eyelids are just like it's really a, heavy. It's,
6: there's a glassy like yeah. his eyes are a little glassy, which gives me the uh, subconscious indicator that he's drunk. That's just yeah. me that this mm-hmm. looked, no, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a this
1: the thousand yard stare of thousand years victim stare.
6: the horrors this man is reliving in this moment just standing outside of a diner yeah. and the weight of the world feels like it's on Malcolm's shoulders that he is feeling the crushing like it's all my fault for everything yeah. this situation yeah. prior situations and uh I just again Eddie Jones holy crap to have that skill with just your eye I mean Chris you're an actor I think when you get a part that's not huge how difficult it is is it to like try to bring that weight to a role like I just think it's so impressive in this character in particular like I, I think you
2: yeah I think I think the hard I I think the hardest part about something like this role is that your your responsibilities and your job is to not pull focus because like, the the main character here is cliff the main characters are cliff and jenny so you are sort of supporting their story mm-hmm. but but in these little moments you can offer these Um, You can offer so much like depth and color to a scene where we start having conversations about like, man, this guy is seriously troubled. Like he's just he's a supporting player. Like this is not a scene about Malcolm. But all of a sudden, Malcolm starts pulling on your heartstrings just because it's like, man, he has all these other things going on that aren't on the page that are very evident and very clear, where it's like, does Malcolm have a drinking problem? Yes. Was Malcolm in the war? Does Malcolm have PTSD? All of a sudden, you're just like, wow, I'm feeling things for this guy, Malcolm, that I didn't necessarily anticipate
6: feeling.
1: Yes. Yeah, we never... Oh, go ahead.
6: No, I just think like, you know, I think what was fascinating as a kid is, I remember vividly Malcolm, like this character... I remember this actor. Like this is probably the first time I was like Eddie Jones, and I like eventually he did like other like Lois and Clark. I know he was Clark Kent's father, mm-hmm. and I always went back to this character of of Malcolm in my head, and I think it's unfortunate that in general the performances that usually get a lot of attention are quite flashy, <laughs> but oh, that yeah. is rarely authentic, and there's something so hauntingly. um relatable of seeing this person like i've seen this guy in my life like i've seen a guy who's older who's lived a life of regrets and is haunted by it and
2: like i will say like every you, you i'm sure you guys have heard this before but like every every character
6: actor imagines
2: themselves as uh like a leading actor and every leading actor imagines themselves as a character actor you know he he's playing this part and like he's the protagonist of the film, but he's skillful enough to do it in a way where it's like never distracting. But when he's the only person in frame, man, it pops. You're like, wow, this guy has this whole backstory that he's prepared for us, the audience. Yeah, it's really I like
6: cool to see. You know, I uh, it's a it's a credit to those that do the craft really well. Cause sometimes when you hear about actors' methods from a non acting standpoint, you're like, that's ridiculous and pretentious and calm down. But then there's <laughs> other people that do, like, a person who says, I want to understand who this character is to understand their actions without having to go full, like, you need to call me, like, you know, like, I, there are the actors that are, who want to be in character all the time, which is right. so ridiculous and, like, you know, but they I think that the ones that try to understand the flaws of their characters and, like, live the emotion of it without taking it out on everybody. You could just see it. I just feel like Eddie Jones deserves a, a real yeah. nod for what he's doing here. Cause I'm like, this is so touching and heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking scene because it is. Yeah. Him.
2: He makes it a three-dimensional character. He's 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 providing a story for us that transcends the words that are on the page. You know, it's just like, there's more going on with this guy than just his lines, which is really cool.
1: Yeah. And just as one more reminder, like, when he's telling the story uh, of his, uh, you know, World War One story to, to Patsy at the counter, he's not talking about a story of, of glory and victory. He says... Did I ever tell you about the time I got shot down by the Red Baron? So even his war stories are sad and yeah. tragic. and yeah. like he's just uh, he's it's really an incredibly fleshed out character for someone who's not that important, but as we'll see, actually pivotal to the plot of the film because uh, due to this, you know, this you know, from his perspective, blunder, he feels this. Uh, compulsive, you know, urge to, to make up for it, and that is the uh, thing that will, you know, set the real, um, you know, action of events, the movie in, in motion uh, in just a few minutes.
4: Smile, you you,
1: you have, have to be, be willing, willing to, re-watch to rewatch a movie. Slowly slowly. Slowly.